0: Ah, there you are, and just in time. Hakuna Matata,
1: Hakuna Matata, Hakuna Matata, Hakuna Matata. zippity doo Da zippity-day.
2: Ladies and gentlemen,
0: Cosmic Ray is proud to present the biggest little star in the galaxy. Direct from Unork City on the planet Zork, put your hands together for sunny eclipse and the amazing astro-organ. WDW Radio,
3: your information station.
0: Hello my friend and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 650. Wow, 650 episodes. Thank you so very much. None of this would be possible without you, because together, as we have for the past nearly 17 years, we're going to continue to celebrate the magic of the Disney parks, movies, and more here on the podcast, the weekly live video, in the community, and so much more. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, tell a friend, and find everything else at www.radio.com So speaking of celebrating, this week we're going to celebrate the legacy of Star Wars as we examine the top 10 most important moments in Star Wars history. From the mind of George Lucas to the big and small screens, parks, toys, what's new and next, there are entries on our list that might not only surprise you, but touch and connect with even the most casual Star Wars fan, I'll then have the answer to our Disney trivia question of the week and more updates at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. A long time ago... And I almost don't have to even finish that, do I? Iconic does not even begin to describe Star Wars. And saying that it fundamentally changed the course of history isn't hyperbole. uh, Because on May 25th, 1977, it wasn't just movie going that had changed. But movie making, science fiction, storytelling, collecting, characters, fandom, the list goes on and on and on. And if I ask you to close your eyes, not while you're driving, and think of Star Wars, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? And why? Is it a personal memory? Is it a toy under the Christmas tree? Is it a, a moment from a movie? Because there's no right or wrong answer, wrong answer, because that's the beauty of fandom, Star Wars or otherwise. And it's why this week, we're going to look at the top 10-ish moments. ...in Star Wars history, and not just from the movies, but the Star Wars universe as a whole. More on that later. And while I fell in love with Star Wars as a nine-year-old kid with his dad on an early summer's day at Middlesex Mall's Theater in New Jersey... ...I am far, far from the biggest Star Wars enthusiast, collector, nerd, which is a term of endearment, or even podcaster... Which is why I brought along some expert help in the form of not one, but two Star Wars superfans who have literally made it their lives and their businesses to talk about and share what they love with others. I want to welcome back Mr. Ryan Donahoe from the Forcecast podcast.
2: Lou, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited. This, this topic got my mind all over the place. So we're going to see where this ends up, but I'm very excited.
0: I am incredibly excited and super curious as well. Again, acknowledging that that you and th- that who those who are going to be joining me next, including podcaster author Dan Zier from Coffee with Kenobi, decide to go. Dan, welcome back.
3: Well, thank you, Lou. It's good to see both of you here talking about one of my favorite topics. I'm very excited to. Um, Strap in and jump the lights. We got some lots. We got some lots. Boy, that is why I'm a successful podcaster because of (laughs) vernacular like that. I'm ready to go.
0: And I was going to say, look, it's like a little microcosm of a star Wars nerd convention. And and, and exactly, this is exactly where it is. You've got your star Wars shirt on. I've got my star Wars underoos on Ryan's hugging his star Wars pillow. So it is completely appropriate. And thankfully we're not doing video, but very quickly, Give me the Reader's Digest abbreviated one or two sentence version of your fandom story. Um, How did you start out uh, when you went from fan to creator um, and why, right? What what is it for you about Star Wars, Ryan and then Dan? Dan?
2: Well, unlike you two fine gentlemen, I uh, am what we'd be classified as the uh, the prequel generation. So our our stories are going to be a little bit different. Um, I actually was. Uh, he always
3: does that, doesn't he?
2: I, I um yeah, I got a few. Actually, that's my whole notes. Just says just keep saying stuff like that. Um, no, but um, yeah, I I was uh, I was young when the special editions came, in, in the late '90s, and that's where my dad, who uh who's who was a fan since day one. Uh, took me to go see Star Wars on the big screen, uh, episodes four, five, six, or the, the original trilogy. Uh, and I was just enthralled. I was uh, in, in elementary school at the time in the late 90s, and I was just enthralled by, by Star Wars. This the first time I ever saw it was on the big screen. Uh, and then in 1999, uh, I felt like it was my turn to get my Star Wars movies. And I saw The Phantom Menace like 15 times in the theaters, uh, as, I, as I kept making my dad take me back. And from then on, I have just been uh, enthralled by this universe. It's It's been the first and one of the only few things that I've still watched to this day where I feel a deep investment in wanting to go and experience that universe. I'm still trying, like we all are with things that we grow up with, to capture that very first sit down with my dad in the theater in the late 90s and just still trying to capture that feeling. And I've had similar experiences all throughout the next 30 plus years, uh, that, 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 that I've been experiencing star Wars. I, uh, I'm still, still getting something from it and it's still such an investment for me. And that, that feeling as a, as a six, seven and eight year old, uh, going to the theater, seeing it has never gone away. And now, you know, we're doing, I'm doing this podcast. I'm, I'm friends with Dan here uh, because of star Wars and, and it, continues to introduce me to people and places I never would have experienced or met if it wasn't for Star Wars.
0: Yeah, there is something special about that that first time, right? That first experience, that that moment with your dad or your son or, or whatever it might be. Quickly before we go to Dan, what is your just to sort of set the the context, favorite Star Wars movie and favorite Star Wars character?
2: Favorite Star Wars movie because of the nostalgia. I think it's 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 similar to you. Why 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 a New Hope will probably stay close to your favorite of all time is is the Phantom Menace. It is. I I can remember as a kid. I I still these are weird vivid memories that I have. But when I walk in and there's a giant uh, Frito Lay Pepsi Mace Windu standee at the grocery store, and it was literally everywhere. I remember going to Toys R Us and getting the toys. So that film is so still nostalgic for me and then when i turn it on i think it's the most pure george lucas movie of all time uh the phantom menace and so for me my favorite and no matter what i see because i like i like the uh the, the sequel trilogy i like i like it all but uh the phantom menace still holds a special place in my heart and i got to get this in i was trying to figure out where to do it but i'll just say yippee so there we
3: go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: good night everybody we're done <laughs>
3: <laughs> Looks
0: <laughs> like okay. we're out
2: of bandwidth. So
0: who's your and, and favorite character then?
2: Oh yeah, you're right. Um Obi-Wan Kenobi. I uh I you just redeemed yourself in a big, big I, way. I'm I'm excited about the Kenobi series, but I think that's been one of the most in-depth characters that we've got to see from, from young age to uh final days is Obi-Wan Kenobi.
0: Is it Alec Guinness Obi-Wan Kenobi or you mm-hmm. McGregor, or is it just one character for you?
2: It is more Ewan McGregor because we've had more Ewan McGregor, but my favorite version of Obi-Wan is the original star Wars. And it's, and it really centers around that moment in his hut in on Tatooine, talking to Luke uh, and kind of breaking down the universe for him that uh, still to this day, it uh, just resonates with me. So Alec Guinness plays my favorite version of Obi-Wan. Yeah, I'm
0: with you. Uh, and I was going to do a really, really bad Alec Guinness. Hello there impression, but I won't, I'm not going to do it. Uh, Dan's Zier. Same questions for you, your fandom story, movie and character.
3: Wow. Well, uh, how much time do you have? How many, how much you balance you have for and the and rest half. of the month? Minute and a half. Okay. Gotcha. Well, I, when I was, uh, when I was younger, we weren't allowed to see PG movies. So uh, when Star Wars came out, I saw the commercials and I thought it looked amazing. And my cousin had told my parents, Hey, you know, it's PG, but it's, it's safe. There's no blood. Uh, and I think the kids will like it. We went four or five, six times to see it. It was always sold out. And then on one fateful day, my dad pulled down this gravel road and he rolled down the window at the small little booth and he said, four for Star Wars. So the first time I ever saw Star Wars was at a drive-in movie theater in New Orleans, Louisiana in the summer of 1978. It was, when it was the only time Star Wars was showing at drive-in movie theaters. And I, what I remember specifically about is just kind of looking at Star Wars literally under the stars. Uh, which led to action figures and t-shirts and Lightbright and Lego and Marvel and all kinds of stuff. I've never slowed down. Even in the the dark times of the late eighties to the mid nineties, I would still scrape the barrel for anything stars. I could Timothy Zahn's there. The empire comes out. I gobble that up. Then Hasbro starts selling new versions of star Wars action figures, famously Luke Skywalker looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger sculpts, <laughs> And I've never looked back, eventually led to a podcast called Coffee with Kenobi, which led to writing for Lucasfilm and Disney. And a couple of books later, I'm still uh, smiling and and drinking in this galaxy far, far away uh, all of the time with my family, with my friends. um, And I wouldn't change it for anything.
0: Movie and character.
3: Movie and character. Well, like you, it's Jar Jar Binks uh thank because you. thank you yeah, i actually do like charger but lou's gonna slam him, so we're just gonna get it out of the way now no it's the empire strikes back uh but the empire strikes back and then a new hope is sort of like one in one a to be honest the last jedi is probably the best made of any star wars movie but the empire strikes back in star wars for sure and it's totally darth vader because as a an english teacher by day i find anakin skywalker to be the most shakespearean the most complex Uh, The most fascinating to break down, to analyze, I've actually used Anakin Skywalker to teach Hamlet, and I just think he's a fantastic character.
0: (laughs) I was going to say half-jokingly, but I don't – and listen, when I make jokes, I don't want people to get mad because they're just jokes I'm kidding around. You know, which actor do you prefer, Hayden? Which Which actor has a wider dynamic range of emotion? Is it Jake Lloyd or Hayden Christensen? But again, not going down that road at all for me. And I think I've said this before um, a new hope. I'm not saying it's, it's better than empire or one is better, but for me, new hope like is my star Wars and it's And I love origin stories and I love the, the, the dirt and the grittiness about that, that film and, and even just sort of how it was made. And like you, I'm a, I'm an Obi-Wan Kenobi fan through and through. So um, before we get into the, into the list, I will tell you, I think, you know, this is, it, it's an interesting list to try and put together. Sort of how difficult is it for you, who are such deep fans, to try and not only come up with these moments, but then to sort of rank them. Because what I was finding was I sort of had this brain dump, which is what I normally do, and I'm like, wow, I had a lot more things on my list than I thought. And then trying to limit it to 10-ish, knowing that there's going to be overlap— was even more difficult because then I got to the, well, how do I leave this out, right? How do I possibly leave this moment out? And what I think we would do is is we'll go around the horn and then at the end, we'll sort of try and agree upon a list of maybe the three, in whatever order we decide if we can agree upon or not, the three of the most iconic, the most important, the most memorable Star Wars moments. And again, I want to acknowledge that while I do not My fandom does not go as deep into even all the things that are on the small screen, certainly not the books and things like that. You are welcome to include anything on the list that you feel is appropriate, because I will tell you that there's a couple of mine that are a little bit outside the four corners to a certain degree. So um, because you are my guests and because I am so wildly curious um again we'll sort of keep the same order ryan and dan and then i'll go and we'll sort of go round robin so um ryan you can do you know what you think is is number 10 on your list and work your way down to one or start with the one that you don't want dan to steal
2: well i've got i've got a few that i know at least you lou will not steal so we'll we'll save those for later um but I was thinking about this topic and it's 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 got me thinking because, you know, there was really no criteria for this top 10. So I was thinking, do I think of all the moments in universe that I think fans um, will will recognize as these things happen in universe in a movie, in a TV show that we all kind of understand this is such a big moment and why. Uh, I think we sometimes point to moments like the, the Chewie, we're home moment in The Force Awakens when they when Chewie and Han get back on there. That I think that's a moment we could all stand and cheer. And if I stole somebody, sorry, I'm just copying Lou. You just throw seven in, in when you do one. Um, but I was thinking about what happens in real life, right? Like not meta, not in universe. Events that have happened since 1977 or before 1977 that kind of have helped define the Star Wars saga. And I think we might get into some of those. Um, but I did want to start. This is one that I think this is actually in universe. This is a moment in a film uh, that I think, to me, ranks as number one. In all the films, all uh, you know, eleven films, television shows, everything, books, you name it. This moment is the number one moment in any Star Wars film for me. So in in meta in universe for this one, for me, uh, is the moment where Luke throws his lightsaber in Return of the Jedi. So. You know, we all know the big epic finale, Return of the Jedi. George Lucas is one of his best things he does is finales of movies. Uh, like he ends his movies very well. It's always the Death Star Trench or uh, Empire Strikes Back, that 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 uh, just powerful ending of them staring out into space. And then Return of the Jedi, to me, has the best ending in all of Star Wars. And you have this this moment leading up where Luke has helped redeem his father. He's brought Anakin Skywalker back. You're, you're face down with the emperor. What's going to happen? Everything seems to be coming to a close. And Luke starts to have his anger overtake him. He chops his, his father's hand off and he, he looks at his, his mechanical hand. The emperor is like, well, no matter what happens here, I've either got Luke on my side now or if Vader survives. I've got Vader. The emperor has won. He thinks he's won. Luke turns. He looks up, throws his lightsaber. He says, you failed, your highness. I am a Jedi like my father before me. That to me, if you ask somebody says, what is, what, is Star, what is the true meaning of Star Wars? What is the lesson we take from Star Wars? I would point to that moment. The moment that Luke throws his lightsaber, doesn't care what happens to him next and says, you failed your highness. And he tells him that I am a Jedi like my father before me. And then of course, the emperor says, then you will die and shocks him and he, lays, he lands on the ground. But that also leads to Vader picking him up, throwing him down the shaft. And that to me is my favorite Star Wars moment. It's number one. In uh, all of Star Wars, is the the moment Luke looks at his mechanical hand, realizes what he's be- what he's becoming, throws the lightsaber, and that to me defines in in one, two, three scenes, however many scenes you want to consider that that defines what Star Wars really means. That's the purpose of Star Wars to me.
0: Wow! So I say wow because it wasn't on my list. I didn't even. I didn't even. It didn't make the cut for me. Which is which is what I love. About having all of us on here together is that everybody's list is going to be a little bit different. Uh, Dan was it on your list? Yeah, your name, and, and what do you think? And then move on to you, or first, or
3: best? Sure. Well, I mean, it's a wonderful moment. I honestly, nothing from the movies is specifically on my list. I, I went a little more esoteric into sort of the the creation of Star Wars and the building blocks of what set this universe, so that we can have that moment at the end of Return of the Jedi when, when Luke shows uh pacifism uh and benevolence over anger and hate he chooses the light side he's arguably one of the only jedis in the history of star wars besides the Tano, that chooses that path so I, I absolutely love ryan's but i knew that he would he would bring his a game which is why i've got my first so now i'm not going to come out with my my top one right off the bat i'm going to save that for the end but for me it's from 1962 uh, a young george lucas grows up in san and california a massive fan of racing of race cars. He's got this contemptuous relationship with his father who thinks George is wasting his time and his life. George builds and designs these race cars and uh, he wants to be a racer. Like that is his dream. That is his passion. And in 1962, and he he gets in this horrible car accident with the jaws of life have to get him out of this vehicle. And by all rights, he should have been dead. I mean, he really should have, it was that bad. The, the, Police and the first responders on the scene said that it was a miracle that this young man survived. When he gets out of this crash and he starts to recover, as he's lying in the hospital, he decides, I'm giving up racing. I think I'm going to start looking a little more seriously into movies and going to film school, which he eventually does at USC. But if not for that fateful crash, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes life will throw you wrinkles that at the time seem horrible, but they can slingshot you to a better tomorrow. And that's exactly what George did when he got in that car accident.
0: Wow. I I actually did not know that. So what I love about this is that we're all going to learn something, I think, along the way as well. Although now all I hear is little Anna going, now this is pod racing, whatever. Moving on. (laughs) Um, I, like you, the first thing that came to mind, the first thing that fell out of my head and, and onto paper, as it were, was not necessarily about a scene from a movie and when I say this I'll, I'll explain why because I, I was I think it's gonna make very clear sense believe it or not I think that George Lucas's brilliant decision and foresight before the movie ever even hit screens to retain the rights to the toys literally it changed the fabric of society going forward look and I say this, we know how important as kids the action figures were to us. I still have my original twelve and my mail-away stand and all those things and all the 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 toys and I still have my Han Solo blaster from nineteen seventy seven sitting behind me. We know how important those toys were to sort of play in and live in that universe. And Lucas's brilliance to forego well at the time, <clears throat> excuse me, a large sum of money for what seemed like relatively probably minor requests, which is he wanted the rights to the sequels and he wanted all of the merchandising rights because toys and action figures based on films, especially this weird space opera that he was trying to pull together, were unheard of at the time. And forget about how much money it made George Lucas, but it changed how the entire movie making and 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 comic and everything industry approached merchandise as a whole and after hundreds of patents and thousands of trademark applications and multiple thousand registered copyrights um he has always remained um very persistent in the protection of the, the ip of of this Franchise, even, you know, you can't use the word droid without paying George Lucas a couple of dollars. Um And, you know, the fascinating story about trying to find, you know, at, at first it was Kenner and then later Hasbro to take on this this licensing deal and manufactured. And that small amount of money or, or large at the time that he gave up in the, you know, we'll call it 300000 $350,000 range at the time ends up translating to four or five billion dollars which one could argue may be one of the most intelligent profitable business decisions that anyone has ever made and and not to sort of get off tap it but i think that there's a there's a a life business lesson and takeaway from this like if you i'll use a walt quote if you believe in a thing unquestionably like and stick to your guns as as george did um and re- decide to retain those rights i mean the payoff literally and figuratively will be huge and we as star wars fans benefited because think about all the stuff that we have collected over the years and looking at all of our backgrounds all the things that we continue amass all these years later
2: yeah uh and and to that point it it still is able to connect us all despite us all having different experiences because even though i am a little bit younger than you guys um you know i, I didn't get the the night i didn't have to mail anything away but when it was 1999 and the the phantom menace toys were releasing my dad having that same experience and and doing the mail away figures in Kinner and having the tin lunchbox and everything He goes, oh, we're going to Toys R Us and we're buying every single thing in that in that building. And I still have the puppet Yoda figure sitting in his Jedi council chair. I still have Jar Jar in the card, by the way, I've not opened him. Uh, And that's only because I had 15 of them. So because they were giving them away at some point. but. Uh, You know, my son, who is is about to turn six, has Dan mentioned earlier the buff power of the force figures from the 90s. My son has all of those uh, and he's playing with them to this day and he's and he's got my Millennium Falcon and it connects. It, It was an ultimate bet on yourself move by George, but it also connects us all because we've all got that one item. We've all got that one story or that one trip to the store when we saw that that figure or that ship that we had to have. And it's it's not just genius for George because his pocketbook look, looks nice. It's also genius because that that connects the fans and the audience still to this day. So I thought I think it's a, that's a brilliant move. Well,
3: George I Lucas still- literally. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say George Lucas literally changed the way movies are made, marketed, and sold. I mean, yeah, original figures. Uh, he his his genius that you mentioned, Lou, changed the fabric of merchandising. Uh, this is where you say your Spaceballs quote. <laughs> no, there you go. <laughs> Every <laughs> time
0: balls, the flamethrower, the kids love it.
3: <laughs> I still have mine in package. Uh, he he. not only did that, but because of Star Wars and the Star Wars brand, he saved Marvel Comics from bankruptcy in the 70s. And a little known company named Lego was about to go under, if not for the Star Wars brand coming in in the mid 90s and saving that one as well. George Lucas, I sincerely believe that George Lucas and Walt Disney are cut from the same cloth. They were geniuses and visionaries. When people tell them no, they found a way and made things even better than anyone could possibly imagine.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think we all have the three of us, you who was also listening. If you're a star Wars, if you were ever a star Wars fan, we have those, those memories and those moments. I remember as a kid going with, I'm going to cry, going with my dad and him. We like, we bought, all the different ships and all the different characters and going home and i still remember having the tie fighter and putting the batteries in for the first time and hitting that button on the back and hearing the sounds of you know the laser cannons and my brother had the gigantic that huge gigantic death star and then even in 99 when i was once again so excited for what was coming going as somewhat of an adult with my friends and spending hours online waiting for Toys R Us to open at midnight. So to your point, we could buy all of the figures, sometimes more than one, because we thought that was going to pay for our kids' college tuition. Um, but it is, and that's and that's why I wanted to put the toys on there, because it's such an integral part of not just our Star Wars fandom, but I think so many other fandoms that have come to follow. So
3: It's not next to my list, but I, I have a bunch of stuff about the toys on there too. I mean, just just again, the, the the early bird special, the fact that they, they were able to sell a cardboard box with nothing in it because the toys weren't ready because they didn't they had no idea in a, in a sort of a similar way to how when Toy Story came out. And, you know, they didn't realize that Buzz and Woody were going to be these massive, massive global phenomenon. So they didn't produce enough toys and they would sell out so quickly. It wasn't until May of 1978, you know, a significant amount of time. Almost almost a year, what nine months after Star Wars originally comes out, that the first action figures even come out into stores. In fact, I had a C3PO and a Stormtrooper action figure before I ever saw, excuse me, before I ever saw Star Wars because of the way that it happened to work out. And then when the Empire Strikes Back came out, they parsed them out solid too because they didn't know it was going to be the colossal hit that it was going to be. And then Return of the Jedi came out, and then all bets were off. And then everything was an action figure. You get an action figure. You get an action figure. Look, I remember. I mean,
0: because it they and again we can do an entire show just about the collectibles. Maybe one day we will. But you know, I remember as a kid just seeing these these in the Sears catalog or whatever it was. These these figures and these characters that I've never seen anything like before. You know, we had bought into it like you said before we even saw frame one of the film, and we did. We mailed away and we waited for those little white boxes to come in the mail for those mail away figures to come for, for many, many years after. So um, we'll have to do a top 10 star Wars toys <clears throat> collectibles show at some point in the, uh, in the future.
2: I mean, yeah. in- yep. Yeah, Ryan. So what's, what's interesting is Dan mentioned something in, in the sixties um, and both of you have, have mentioned Walt. And w- one of the things that struck me um Lou, when you and I were working on the, the Star Tours documentary that that we did, and I was talking to the Imagineers who, who did Star Tours, and I said, tell me, what was it like for George Lucas to come into your room, your Imagineer playground, and talk about a ride? And multiple different people between Tony Baxter uh, and Tom Fitzgerald told me that George continued to tell this story about July 18th, 1955, the second day that Disneyland was was under operations, George was there and he was like an 11-year-old kid and he said that had such an impact on him. He not only became obsessed and, and a big giant fan of Walt Disney and the stuff that the Walt Disney Company was done doing in the mid-50s, but it it showed him that it was possible to create worlds for people to want to go to and he he had all these stories that he he still to this day you can find pictures of him recently at California Adventure with his new daughter and his new wife because it had that big of an impact of him second day of park operations in 1955 that he said it it inspired him to believe that telling stories like this was possible to have immersive stories and so much of the fact that he has he has said before in quotes that I found while while preparing for this that he always believed that his property, Star Wars, would fit well into the umbrella of what Walt was doing at the time that Walt was there. So my next on my list is July 18th, 1955. George Lucas goes to Disneyland and it changes his his viewpoints on storytelling so much to the fact where in one of the original drafts and ideas for the, the first Star Wars movie, when it was still called Journal of the Wills, uh George wanted to do the old school Walt Disney intro where there's a storybook with a cover and it opens up and then it starts to tell the fairy tale because George views this as a fantasy fairy tale and not necessarily a science fiction so that's why he thought it felt in the line of that storytelling so that to me George Lucas going to Disneyland in 1955 in a weird way sets off this this chain reaction and then we talk about Dan's 19 I believe it's 1962 moment uh, and all these other things that happened later um You know, it's just it's a funny chain of reaction. But he he said to this day, it, it also could influence why he sold it to Disney, why he wanted to do a Star Towards Attraction or Captain EO or Indiana Jones to begin with, because he was enthralled with the Disney company from July 18th, 1955 on. So that's the next on my list.
0: I'm smiling silently because I love the fact that the two of you came in with such interesting perspectives on these important iconic moments that did not necessarily take place on screen. I was waiting for you to sort of battle it out, you know, in terms of who was going to mention Anakin and Padme, you know, rolling around in the fields first, but I like, we are going with this instead. So
2: Dan, well, you way. took my next one. So thanks. I'll <laughs> mark that up. Well,
3: I was under it. the impression that was going to be a top 10 show. Top 10 things we love about that scene. I <laughs> 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 can not, probably not. Can so my next one, is another one uh, before Star Wars was even written, before he took pen to paper. He he loved movie serials, which, is, of course, gave birth eventually to Indiana Jones and, and the great action hero that Harrison Ford later portrayed on the silver screen. But he loved science fiction, and he loved the Flash Gordon serials. He loved them so much that he wanted to make a flash gordon movie. So he, so he went to king features and he and he made this proposal and he was ready to make a flash gordon movie and they said that sounds great, but we get 80% of the gross and the great uh, fellini is going to have to direct it. Well, George thought that was a terrible idea, but he was a new up and comer, you know, american graffiti hadn't quite it was was, you know, a, a massive massive hit. But so that gave him a tremendous amount of clout in hollywood. But not to the degree that he could say, no, I think 80% is ridiculous. So he eventually decided, you know, to take bits and pieces. And if you watch uh, the recent making of The Mandalorian uh, from season two, which talks about the finale of season two, what John Favreau and Dave Filoni say is, you know, when you want to make Star Wars, you don't go to Star Wars. You go to what inspired Star Wars, Kurosawa, Flash Gordon, movie serials, things like that. Those are the things that are very much part and parcel of what went into the creation of a new hope. And it's because, again, I, I just love this theme so much maybe because I experienced some of that when I was younger, or even when I became a teacher, when these no's open up the doors to yeses that are way better than you could possibly dream. So he used the rejection of the Flash Gordon business and what happened with that to create his own mythology. And it turned out very well. I love that
0: as well. And I'm really happy about that too, because we wouldn't have gotten the Sam Jones flash Gordon in the eighties with that. amazing And
3: the queen soundtrack. soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. And we
0: wouldn't have gotten the, uh, the cameo in Ted.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Sam Jones.
0: All right. Uh, Listen, I I am surprised that this fell this far down the list, but I cannot hold this one in any longer because again, I want to take you back with me. And you you probably have your own version of this story to the, the early summer of 1977. And I, can, and I can see, like it was yesterday, walking down to like the second or third row in this incredibly packed theater at Middlesex Mall in South Plainfield, New Jersey, to watch this thing called Star Wars with my father. And I was sitting at the end and he was to my right. And the lights dim, and this opening crawl comes, and we're like, What is this? Like, we're looking at each other with this weird smile on our face. And then we're in this sort of vast blackness of space. And the camera moves down slowly, and we see this planet off in the distance. And there's this this low hum of, we'll get to the music at, at some point later. And this ship comes comes sort of hurling over our heads, and we can hear this incredible sound of, of the laser fire behind us. But the music starts to build. And when that shape, that triangle, sword-like shape honed to a very fine point, starts to come over, and it goes on and on and on and we realize that this is this gigantic space battleship i remember looking up at my dad and his eyes were as wide as mine with this grin on his face seeing that blockade runner and the star destroyer i didn't know the names of the ships i didn't know the i didn't need to right but that opening of that film is I'm not gonna keep repeating that it, that it's iconic, but it did it 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 changed everything like it did it changed everything and it has been something that has continued you know now I'm now thinking of the spaceballs version of the parody you know so many times but I remember that moment as clear as day and then you know we had a <clears throat> we might have had a bootleg copy that, that we would watch at home and on our on our grainy VCR after hundreds of times with my brother. And that opening scene, that introduction, that appearance of the person that we would come to know as Darth Vader stuck in my mind. And I think those first few minutes, that those first few minutes of the opening scene of New Hope are some of the most impactful and important movie milestone moments in cinematic history, period. Fight me.
2: No, it... it it. It's, 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 I think it's to, to go back to, to like the idea that we want to go, um, to the, I think the thing about Star Wars that maybe separates it from other franchises, um, why like galaxy's edge is so point, important because you want, you wanted to go there. Like, I think everyone's like, I want to experience that. I mean, there'd been other movies that take place in space, right. Including star Trek, including 2001, uh, you know, a space odyssey, but to, there was something different about star Wars. And I think those opening scenes, uh, and the characters you got introduced to in that first movie and sort of the things that you saw, it was just such a stark visual. I hear people tell me all the time and I experienced it as well. It was like seeing those droids walk in the desert, all in that opening part of the very first movie was just like, I, I want to go there. I want to experience that. I want to see. i That's a universe that I feel like really does exist. And I think that set the tone in those first few shots. And you were just so enthralled without a lot of dialogue being spoken at all. Uh, and that's 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 really what set the tone. So that is uh is definitely it's not on my list, but it definitely would be um, on 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 any other list. I would definitely put that on there.
3: It it crossed my mind. It, it should be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, because that's that's where our minds were blown. And how many countless filmmakers have said that that moment changed them, inspire them? That was the lightning rod. For countless generations of people who fell in love with his franchise, with myth, with storytelling, with George, Joseph Campbell. I mean, it, it changed everything. It changed everything for me. I didn't know movies could be like that. And and it, like you, Lou, when I think about Star Wars, especially as a young man, I re- I remember fondly wonderful moments and memories of my family when I was growing up. And we didn't have a lot of them. My parents ended up getting divorced. But the moments with Star Wars legitimately, and I mean, there's not any hyperbole, were some of the finest moments when the four of us were a, a unit, a collective. And just like a found family in A New Hope, that was something that stuck with me and still does to this day, which is why I pass it on to my kids, like we all do. And you and you both
0: pass it on to the people that, you know, read what you write and, and hear what you say on your shows. and And it goes to how impactful that moment was because it, it has this incredibly long tail domino effect years, decades and generations later.
2: So my, my, my next one on the list is one that actually comes from the least grossing box office, star Wars movie and the least critically rated star Wars movie. It got the lowest ratings by critics and it was actually the lowest box office, not even close and that is from the 2008 Clone Wars movie. And it's not necessarily because of the moment. Like, I, the Clone Wars movie, for those of you who don't know, were just four episodes thrown together because George said, let's see if we can put this on a big screen. It wasn't actually designed to be a movie. And if you've never seen the Clone Wars movie, I will give you a little uh, short Cliff Notes version. Basically, Jabba the Hutt's son, Stinky gets taken uh by Anakin and Ahsoka to get delivered back to Jabba. That's 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 so again, Stinky, I'll just uh allow you to to really think that's about that. That's his nickname. Uh and I mean I'm trying, you know, if you're trying to piece together why would a Star Wars movie be that low critically rated and that low box office because the the plot of the movie was was stinky to get reunited with his dad Jabba. So, um but I will say there was a moment in that movie, uh the 2008 Clone Wars movie uh that has honestly, in a way, helped define story decisions that are still being made in the Star Wars universe to this day. And it was the moment that Ahsoka Tano came down the ship and we were introduced to Anakin Skywalker's apprentice. And it didn't make sense at the time. How could Anakin in between these two movies have an apprentice? Where is this character in Revenge of the Sith? Uh, You know, a lot of people did not like this character. They called her annoying. Who is this? And yet... There is an entire series that is about to start filming and will come out in the next year or two titled Ahsoka. And there she's getting her entire live action series. That decision, um, that the idea that Ahsoka was a character that nobody liked at first and now is one of the most popular characters in the entire franchise. The actress who brought Ahsoka to life, Ashley Eckstein helped define uh, a lot of fandom for girls and women with her clothing line, her universe, and really gave a voice to a lot of people who felt like they didn't have a voice. And she inspired and still inspires to this day, tons of both boys and girls as she goes out to different places. And at the same time, uh, Ahsoka was a main storyline in Mandalorian season two. She's actually the one that told us what baby Yoda's name was. It's Grogu. Uh, And also on top of that, a lot of story decisions between rogue one And the new series, The Bad Batch and The Mandalorian with characters like Bo-Katan and other storylines there have all come out of Lucasfilm animation. And that was the first time we really got to see Lucasfilm animation, the department with the Clone Wars movie in 2008. And that character coming down the ship in 2008, Ahsoka versus the Ahsoka that we see and the way that people view her, uh, you know, what is this, 13 years later, uh, is just it was a monumental moment. Um, we didn't know that at the time, but it still is having its effect felt to this day and for probably many decades to come, including it, it, that movie was uh, was the, the head man for that movie was Dave Filoni, who is now doing interviews on Good Morning America. And you hear people like Carl Weathers talking about how big of an impact Dave Filoni has made on his career. Uh, and and John Favreau everywhere he goes, it's like it's like a package deal. It's John Favreau and Dave Filoni, and all of that sprung out from the least viewed, least box office grossing, and least critically acclaimed Star Wars film, the Clone Wars movie. And then that character in particular, uh, Ahsoka Tano, has defined fandom for thousands upon thousands of people, uh, including people naming their kids Ahsoka. I have met at Star Wars Celebration many many people come up and they'd say, Oh yeah, this is my daughter Ahsoka. Uh, and it's just all came down from that moment of Ahsoka coming down the ship. So one of the, we just we're still feeling the effects, and it's so modern, maybe it doesn't seem right, but that 2008 Clone Wars movie is still impacting the decisions that Disney makes now and Lucasfilm on stories and and all those other things I mentioned.
0: That's a great pull. I admittedly have not seen that film or in in, in its individual pieces or collectively as a whole. I will say that not Ahsoka the character. But Ashley Eckstein and her universe is on my list because, exactly to your point, of what she did for Star Wars fandom, specifically for an underrepresented and underserved segment of fandom for such a long period of time, which were young girls, right? There weren't, you you know, she, not to tell her story, but she would say that she herself and other people would go and there wouldn't be, costumes for them to get or characters they can relate to. And the fact that she took her fandom and made it and created something and the Her Universe brand is remarkable. I have the utmost admiration and respect for Ashley as a person, as an actress, as an entrepreneur. She's also like the nicest, sweetest person in the world, which makes mm-hmm. it even better. But what she's done for fandom um, and the way it has been served and grown absolutely Necessitated her to be on my list uh, because I think it's almost less about her as Ahsoka than her as the fan.
3: I, I'm yes to both of those. To me, Ahsoka is one of the top fictional characters of all time in any franchise, in any line of fiction, period, because of what she stands for, who she is, how she carries herself. And at the exact same time, Ahsoka Tano and Ashley Eckstein have inspired countless. Boys and girls, especially young girls, because of the determination, the grit, Uh, not unlike George Lucas himself. And I I think that's a great pull, Ryan. And I love that movie, by the way. I saw the first day, first showing. I remember thinking "Mm, this is sort of probably cringeworthy in a few parts. But it's got uh, Christopher Lee. It's got Sam Jackson. It's got a a great cast. And it's got some stellar lightsaber sequences that are still some of the best in Star Wars, by the way. And you, you just have to ignore... All the extra huts because they can get a little uh, tedious.
2: Yeah, zero Google zero the hut if you don't know who that is. But yes, uh, one also, of the least
3: cool characters ever.
2: That wet movie um, really helped change animation in, in a certain sense. If you listen to Dave Filoni talk about how they made those episodes, they shot it like an live action movie using brand new technology, which is right out of George Lucas's playbook. He said, if we're going to do animation, we're not going to just do the same old thing. I want to do it a new way that's never been done before. So the movie is technically, especially for 2008, a really interesting movie. Um, so yeah, it, it is a little odd at points, but it is a technically, uh, advanced animated movie for the time of 2008, and if you watch some of the stuff Lucasfilm Animation is doing now, it all started right there with those four episodes. And so it's um, it's been a big part of Phantom. If you've not watched any of Lucasfilm Animation stuff, um, I would recommend it. It is it is top level uh, animation and storytelling, and it it is making impacts on the on the Star Wars galaxy. And it did all start uh, back in 2008. So.
3: I love it, Dan. All right, my next one is the one. So, call off the dogs. This is the one. This is the winner right here. May 2011. George Lucas is getting ready to open uh, Star Tours. The adventures continues. He and Iger have a little breakfast at the Hollywood Brown Derby. He just celebrates his 67th birthday. George Lucas does and says, you know what? I'm not done. But when I am, you know... I could conceivably sell to Disney to you and was like oh okay finishes his cobbs salad and then most likely excuse me a moment george probably goes in the bathroom and does cartwheels <laughs> i would say and then we know the story october 30th 2012 i act ax- this is my this is the moment for me i was sitting uh, at my at my soon to be kitchen table i was sitting with my fiance And my friend Corey Club texts me and it says this, this, this is what it says. I have goosebumps right now. George Lucas sold Lucasfilm and Star Wars to Disney. And they're making three new movies, episodes seven, eight, and nine. What? I start screaming. my fiance says, what's wrong? Are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. Disney just bought Star Wars and they're making episodes seven, eight, and nine for three days straight. That's all I could think about at school, at home. At every meal, finally, my my soon-to-be bride is like, okay, that's great. I'm very excited for you. I could not believe it. And at that time, we're in this miasma of Family Guy and Robot Chicken parodies, which are fine. They're fine. But Star Wars is more than silly parodies and fart jokes, okay? Star Wars is the modern mythology that Americans have that we share th- with the globe. But this, ladies and gentlemen, is the heart of storytelling in American cinema and mythology. And when I knew that Disney was going to take the reins, I knew it was going to take Star Wars into places that had never been before. And it would ensure that Star Wars would survive. I, I like Star Trek, but Star Trek doesn't have the same kind of pull that Star Wars does. It doesn't that you'd be disingenuous to think otherwise, because look at what's happened and it could have easily slipped into parodies and nostalgia only because Disney is progressive and is always moving forward with theme parks, with Disney plus with comics, with animation and more films. I knew that Star Wars was going to survive because of Cobb salad. Thank goodness for the Hollywood Brown Derby.
0: I, uh, I love that story. And I think so many people, myself included tried to figure out how does that happen? Like who calls who, how does this conversation start? Like, Hey, you want to buy star Wars? Sure. What do you want for it? Like, do you take PayPal? Can I Venmo you? Do you take Bitcoin? <laughs> what, like to know that that is sort of how and where the conversation took place because it is. it It's the moment that shifted everything. And, and I think we all had that moment of, of excited disbelief that Disney was buying Star Wars, the only company that could and should buy it and take over the, those reins. And to your point about getting away from the parodies, it even shifted – in the parks like remember star wars weekends there were all these star wars dance parties and hyperspace hoopla and mm-hmm. boba fett and darth vader doing sort of all these modern dances of the time all that went away and all that went away over time and said look we're going to start taking this seriously again we're going to represent star wars in the way that it was and, and the continuing on of of this storytelling and a lot of those remember they even made little like Uh, Muppet Star Wars crossover figures which I still have some in my garage mint in box just in case Um, but those things all went away because there was this shift and there's been this incredible and I think we're all going to talk about it in different ways this renaissance of Star Wars fandom that has come to your point from that Cobb salad
2: Mm -hmm. yeah and and George, honestly, we—I think we all kind of like when that day happened. And I remember I was I was uh, about to be out of out of college, and I was visiting my my parents that day in 2012. And my dad goes, "Oh, hey, Disney bought Star Wars," and it was like, <laughs> "Oh, of course!" Like it was like it, you know, it, of course I didn't at the time. He goes, "Oh yeah, and they're making new movies," and then I had to get mopped up off the floor. But I. It was like, of course that that of course that makes sense. I loved Star Tours at the time. I loved the original Rex version. I mean it made sense there. And you didn't see the big Star Tours banner at a Disney Park and go, that's weird. Uh, it just always kind of seems like it fit. And Dan mentioned the parks and Disney Plus. And as Disney evolves as a company and innovates, they have the franchise that has always evolved and innovated right there with them. And so it all is just it just and it allows people like my my son and I to get ready and 2023 to go see rogue squadron and and now i get to have that moment that i me and my dad had and um you know and and we get to go see movies in the theaters and it's all because i guess because of that Cobb salad but also because george had the foresight to say this is the, the right company this is the right company for my franchise because they're always going to push things forward too and that's what that's george's just like walt disney george's George's really his, his M.O. And, and, his, and his directives to his team and his company, ILM, and everything else since day one has been do the impossible. What's not been done before in storytelling and technology, do that. And there's no better company to slide that company into than, than Disney because that's kind of their directive is do the impossible. And so to have those two together, it's, it's just the, the fruits of that are already um, paying off.
3: As a really quick side note, Bob Iger's autobiography is tremendous. There's one chapter where he talks about in details buying the company from George. Now, how hard that was for George Lucas, and it's it's a it's a lovely, lovely story. It's, it's captivating. I highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, no wonder how many times George is like, "What did I do?"
3: Oh, yeah, was- that, there was some of that actually. He had a very hard time letting go of these of these characters that were like his family, like his kids, and it's really really touching.
0: Yeah, hmm. it would be interesting to hear. Given, give a little bit almost more time because I think there's I sort of get the sense that there's some things he does I don't think he regrets giving up but you can see he, he seems mm. almost be having a tough time letting mm-hmm. go of those decisions that that he gave away the right to be able to make um, I, I'm going to shift away from the one that I, I want to mention so desperately because I think this one is is so important. And I don't want you to steal it because I think that of all the things that we have mentioned, and forgetting the stuff that happened before, but of all the things that we've mentioned, this next entry on the list, almost more than anything else, defines Star Wars. It is the one true constant in this entire saga of the skywalkers it has transcended star wars science fiction movies even just pop culture into just sort of our culture and what i'm referring to is john williams the move the, the music of star wars cannot be overstated its importance um we know the look the, we we have the 20th century fox fanfare in our head because of star wars we know all of these songs in sort of everyday life not just from the movies themselves more importantly we know like how many movie scores can you hear in your mind the same way that you can and these the brilliant composition of these you know, 40 to 50 different themes that are recurring that represent different plot elements and, and different characters. Like, remember the first time you heard the Imperial March in Empire, right? It wasn't in A New Hope. The first, ter- terms, first time you heard the Imperial March, like, I, I almost had the Imperial March on, the li- on my list as its own because it was that, like, it, it, there was this... And then try and watch Star Wars without music. Like, ever watch a scene without <laughs> without any music at all? Um, and even scenes like the cantina scene, um, which has this diegetic music that we don't just hear, but the characters hear, right? It's not just background, but it's something that exists and, and, and how that song too sort of transcends the four corners of the, the film itself without going off on a on a potentially very long just ode to John Williams Star Wars isn't Star Wars without him and and I will say that to the day I die because I can almost argue that other than a, a film that is an actual musical Star Wars the music of Star Wars is so defining of the film itself that without it star wars is not star wars and we're not talking about it today
3: yeah. you'll get no argument for me I, I mean john williams uh, it's long been said and lucas has said many times that john williams is the oxygen of star
2: wars yeah and we talked about this i remember these conversations we were having in the lead up to the force awakens and it was and it was like what what, what can jj abrams do uh, to to make it seem like a, a George Lucas Star Wars movie, and we've we found ourselves discovering that so many times George would lay out and allow John Williams to tell the story of the scene. So whether it's the Anakin Obi Wan fight in Revenge of the Sith, there's not really dialogue during their lightsaber fight until the very end when Anakin is is uh, you know getting grilled um, you know to to burnt to a crisp. But up until that. The Battle of Heroes, which is what the song is called, is telling the story. And actually, one on my list, I'm, I'm going WDW Radio style because I think we're on number 14. But one of the ones on my list was the Duel of the Fates fight in episode one. Darth Maul, Obi-Wan, and Qui-Gon, that fight. There's no dialogue not until the end. And that song, Duel of the Fates, is telling the story. And you still, as soon as you hear that, as soon as you hear that, that choir start to sing immediately, you're taken there. You're taken to that moment where Darth Maul is that second blade comes out that we all saw in the trailer. And it's all, you don't realize that there's no words being spoken there. George Lucas would lay out and go, John, you tell the story here. Just, just go. And there's so many moments that are defined by the music. And you talked about the merchandising. A lot of people back in the, in the seventies and eighties, back before, I mean, home video, a lot of people don't realize is that wasn't a thing. You didn't go rent it from Blockbuster or go buy the the movie and bring it home you had to get a bootleg copy out of a brown paper bag somewhere um and so a lot of people their home movie experience was the soundtrack was they'd close their eyes or they'd pull out their Kenner action figures they'd put the soundtrack on and they were rewatching the movie at home that way because the music is that powerful that George you know he allowed John to tell the story of Star Wars with him and a lot of times for him he would say here's a scene and, and attack of the clones, which I'm sure I know Lou is probably number one or two on your list for favorite movies across the stars, that love theme defined that movie over everything else. That's one of the most memorable things about that film is the love theme between Anakin and Padme. So even a movie that a lot of folks, I personally like it, but a lot of folks don't like it. will say, Oh, but the greatest thing about that movie is across the stars, the love theme. And so that's a, that's a hundred percent agreement. You'll, you'll get no argument from me. That is uh John Williams. There is no, George Lucas without John Williams in my in my opinion.
0: All right, and let's all admit it. Like that song came out, we loved it, and we loved that scene. How many times did we try and figure out what they were singing? Like, what what were the lyrics to it? Like, and if you if you really want to have like an entertaining time, I, I think if you Google um, "Duel of the Fates," like misheard lyrics there's somebody actually did this incredible rendition where it's not the real lyrics but there are words that sort of fit in like corn on the cob <laughs> dracula like and it all fits <laughs> and it's incredibly hysterical but um it, duel the fates was was on my list as sort of an asterisk to that and i agree a thousand percent
3: well how about the fact that the soundtrack for a new hope which wasn't a new hope till 1981 by the way uh, it was top the Billboard charts. A classical soundtrack, a double album, was tops of the Billboard charts. I mean, that tells you something about the power of that music and its ability, along with the figures, to tell the story at home when I mean, you don't have streaming and things like. That. You have to get something kids called a Betamax to watch Star Wars, and that was until years later.
2: And and you mentioned that. Oh, I'm oh, sorry, um, but you mentioned that that classical was topping the charts, Dan. I think we all know that famous story of. The studio telling George, this is the 70s. You need a disco soundtrack. <laughs> and George was like, no, I'm not doing a disco soundtrack for this film. And uh, to the the uh, chagrin and, and the disagreement of 20th Century Fox, George said, I want John Williams. I want a classical score. I do not want disco. And people are like, no, disco is where it's at. And I, I don't know if Star Wars with a disco soundtrack is quite the same film.
3: Well, Amigo had that famous little hit. I thought for sure, I thought for sure, Lou backed me up here, that Ryan was going to say, well, I wasn't born when disco was a thing. I thought for sure we were going to get that.
0: Yeah, my ba- grandparents used to listen to disco. <laughs> the only version better than Amigo is the Bill Murray singing the Star Wars theme. On yes, Night Live. definitely.
2: Have you guys ever heard of records? Somebody mentioned that. I've never heard of that. But what's a record? Oh,
0: I'll show you one. Uh, one day I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to bring over an 8-track and I'm just going to put it in front of you and just see what you try and do with it. <laughs> I,
3: I still have my Star Wars 8-track over here, actually. <laughs> mm. um, all right, I so think right, we're right. on. Ryan, your next on. one? Is that right?
0: That's going to conclude part one of our look at the top ten and obviously more important moments from Star Wars history. Obviously, we're very, very passionate about the topic. There's a lot to cover and as much as I intended to keep this relatively short, clearly there's a lot that we want to share, and hopefully you do as well. So please tune in next week, and of course, come and discuss this week's episode over in the WW Radio Clubhouse at wwradiocom slash clubhouse.
1: This is the Nick Winter Show, and I do the entertaining. Thank you. Let's go out with something really
2: hot for these folks. A big hit out of 77. (laughs) Ah, Star Wars. (laughs) Nothing but Star Wars. And hey, how
1: about that nutty Star Wars bar? Can you forget all the creatures in there? And hey, Darth Vader in that black and evil mask,
2: did he scare you as much as he scared me? Ah, Star Wars! Those near and far...
0: It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details in what you see, hear, remember, or even taste. If you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a Disney Prize package. And once again, this week's trivia contest is brought to you by you. Because as part of the WW Radio Nation, you literally have helped continue to bring Every single episode of WW Radio to life, every live broadcast from the parks, the contests, the giveaways, they are all thanks to you. You can find out how you can help the show for as little as a dollar a month. And get cool exclusive rewards every month like scavenger hunts, group video calls, we have a private Facebook group, shirts, stickers, monthly care packages, and so much more. To find out more, including how by being part of the Nation family, you're also helping our Dream Team project, which benefits the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America, you can go to www.radio.com support. Now, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week I asked you to simply tell me what Disney Springs restaurant is in the former location of the Adventurer's Club. First, thanks to the hundreds of you who entered, got this one correct. No, it's not the Boathouse, surprisingly, but it's the Edison. The Edison opened back in 2017, and it took over an area that was occupied mainly by the Adventurer's Club and a little bit of what was the BET Soundstage area, And what you might not know is that the Edison here in Disney Springs is actually modeled after a West Coast version of the same name, the Edison in Los Angeles, which has the same very early 1900s look and feel that the Disney Springs location has, although the Los Angeles version was actually built in the real sub-basement of an electric power plant. Anyway, I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and last week you were playing for a WW Radio pin, and Keychain, which you can only get by winning a trivia contest prize and a special bonus prize as well, and last week's winner, randomly selected is Andrew Dandridge so Andrew, congratulations I will get your prize packet to out here right away if you played last week and didn't win, that's okay cause here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge so I literally just came back from the grand opening of the Space 220 restaurant next to Mission Space in Epcot Center. It is amazing. You can go and check out the live video replay, including full walkthrough, full experience, full tour over at Facebook.com slash Radio. I'll also post it on the WW Radio blog as well. So this week's question is to tell me, what attraction did Mission Space replace? It's that simple, or is it? You have until Sunday, September 26th at 11:59 p.m. Eastern to go to wwradio.com, click on this week's podcast. Once again, you are going to play for the pin, the keychain, and a mystery bonus prize. So, good luck and have fun. that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. And I hope that you enjoyed our conversation about these incredible magical moments from star Wars. Please stay tuned next week for part two, but in the meantime, please come and share some of your favorite star Wars memories or moments over in the WW radio clubhouse at WW slash clubhouse. That is our fun, family friendly, very, very welcoming. And of course, free group over on Facebook, Facebook, you can also connect with me elsewhere on social. I am at Lou Mangiello on Instagram... Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn and Pinterest or better yet, you can call the voicemail, share it, let me hear your Star Wars memory and I'll play it on the show at 407-900-9391 that's 407-900-WDW1 in addition to the podcast, please don't forget to join me this and every Wednesday night at 7.30pm Eastern for WW Radio Live, there's our live video broadcast on Facebook either from the parks or at home where we talk about this week's Disney news, our Disney Plus Pick of the Week This week's podcast, my top five live, your questions, comments, and more again every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, and be sure to turn on notifications both in the clubhouse as well as on the Radio page over on Facebook as I often go live from the parks at unscheduled times as well. Speaking of live, I will be live on October 1st for the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World from Magic Kingdom. Again, make sure you turn on notifications. And if you are going to be in Magic Kingdom, I will be doing a meetup on that day. I'll have more information about exactly where and when. As we get closer, just want to make sure I don't conflict with anything Disney has in store. And the following week, I want to take you with me somewhere that I've never been before, but I'm so excited to go for the very first time because I'm going to be live ...from New York Comic Con... ...October 7th through the 10th... ...Thursday, Friday, and Saturday... ...I'll be sharing both live video on Facebook... ...as well as a lot of Instagram stories and pictures... ...so please make sure to follow me... ...and turn on notifications on Instagram... ...at Instagram.com slash ...and speaking of doing these things together... ...don't forget that you can still join us... ...for our Marvel Day at Sea cruise... ...on the Disney Magic... ...February 5th through the 10th, 2022... ...out of Miami or on our Disney Wish inaugural cruise on June 20th. If th- neither of those work, that's okay, because we're also going to do one on December 5th, a special Very Merry Time cruise on the brand new Disney Wish as well. You can find out more, get a free no-obligation quote by visiting www.radio.com slash events. One more event that I want to remind you about that it's not necessarily Disney-related, but it takes place in Disney, and it's going to incorporate a lot of Disney in it as well because my Momentum Weekend workshop, November 13th and 14th, with an optional mastermind day on Monday the 15th, now has only seven seats left. And Momentum basically is a way for you to help turn what you love into what you do. It is a two day interactive workshop limited to just 50 people. In walt disney world where i and other speakers and entrepreneurs share practical and and tactical strategies inspired by the disney parks as well as other lessons tools and resources more importantly we're going to show you how and why to apply them to your life and business and if you're still deciding if momentum is right for you i want to give you a little bit more information and context about some of the sessions that are going to include the sorcerer's workshop where i teach you how to apply some of those lessons From Disney to your business, we're going to cover email marketing, productivity, time management, content repurposing, building community, launching your idea, your brand, your business, your blog, making impossible goals possible, overcoming some of those struggles that we as entrepreneurs face, audio, video, live, tools, networking activities, table talks, support stations, future of social and the oh so very fun fireside chat to find out more to secure your seat. Or if you want to ask me a question, you can visit lumonjello.com momentum. I have extended the $100 off both the weekend workshop ticket and the Mastermind Day ticket discount until September 30th. So you have just a few days left to take advantage of the discounts. Huge thanks, as always, to some of the new and longtime members of the WW Radio Nation family. I sincerely appreciate your love, support, friendship, and help, and I love being able to give back to you each and every month. I want to thank some new and longtime members, including Brittany Pritchard, Sabrina McDonald, and Jamie Kersey. Again, to find out how you can be part of the WW Radio Nation family, you can visit www.radionation.com. And if and when you're looking to book your next trip to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Alani, Disney Cruise Line, or anywhere on this big blue, beautiful world of ours, please go and visit my friends and yours over at MEI and Mouse Fan Travel at mousefantravel.com for all available discounts, the best possible prices, all at no cost to you. And finally, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word, tell a friend, share out that you're listening on social Post a link to this or one of your favorite episodes and let your friends know why they should subscribe and listen as well. And if you can, take just a couple of seconds to rate and review the show over on Apple Podcasts. It is incredibly helpful. Very much appreciated. I want to thank a recent reviewer, Loose Tune, who says, Lou... Oh, I can't read this. It says, Lou is a Disney legend. That's crazy talk, but I'll read it anyway. I've been listening to Lou. Thank you. I don't take compliments well. Can you see? I've been listening to Lou since episode one, one... And even earlier, so I figured it was about time I thanked him for the years of fun, information, and entertainment. I listen and enjoy every single week, and I'm with you to the end of the line. Oh, God, Loose Tune. I love this. I love you, man. I sincerely, uh, sincerely appreciate it. I'm not sure if you can tell the smile that is on my face right now. Well, if you want to leave a review as well, just search for WW Radio and Apple Podcasts or go to www.radio.com slash iTunes for a link and instructions on how to do it. And finally, most importantly, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm giving you a big virtual hug just to show how much I love and appreciate you. I hope that you understand and believe just how much you listening means to me and you being part of the community over in the clubhouse and part of the nation I do this show not just because I love these things so much but I love being able to experience it and share it with you and I'm grateful for the gift that you give me each week of your time and your attention and the love and if there's anything that I can do to repay those favors back to you by all means, please reach out and let me know. So I hope to see you on the live show Wednesday on social. And of course, here again next week. So until next time,
1: see ya. Hey, Lou, this Chris Whitney, first time caller. Um, I've been listening since the beginning, but I'm calling you in regards to your September 13th show. Um, I'm really excited because, uh, my wife and I are going on a cruise October 2nd through, uh, well, it was originally the 9th of this year, but it was cut down to the 6th on board the Fantasy and, um, looking forward to that. And also, uh, surprisingly, I'm so behind in my shows right now. Um, uh, my wife and I will actually be on the same exact cruise you'll be on February 5th or the 10th. So, um, if I see you, I will say hi. I've seen your posts online. I know you sound like all that good stuff. So anyway, have a good day. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Hey, Lou, this is a uh, Kevin out in Virginia, and I only just discovered your podcast. I discovered it because I'm a huge Jim Corcus fan, and I love listening to him on another podcast, which I won't name here. Um, and I thought to myself, gee, I wonder if he's on any other podcast. So I Googled Jim Corcus podcast, and your thing came up. And you not only have him have him on, you've, had, you've got a whole page devoted to the links directly to where I can download and listen to his stuff. It's fantastic. And, of course, while paging through that, I checked out some of the other stuff. I've been listening to you and your, and your friends talking about this and that. This, I'm so glad I discovered this podcast. This is my second favorite Disney podcast after the other one where I first found Jim Corcus. But, wow, this is excellent stuff. I'm so glad I found it. Keep it up.